honestly. <laughs> so not another yeah. kitten that I have to keep alive. <laughs> yes, he's like, oh no, another sick kitten. I have to go in the clinic. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Purr Podcast. Okay, so it's not fair. When you go three, two, one, hello, this is because it's one sentence. Yeah. And you don't leave a break at all. No. Right. You don't leave room at all. Yeah. For me to say, hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. Yeah, but you got the last one. So I thought yeah, this well, time it is my time. Yeah, you're back to just like sneaking it by me as you usually do. <laughs> <laughs> but this is still the per podcast. And we're so excited to have Dr. Susan back. You know, know. when I was alone, when Aww. when she left me all alone, I had to do this myself. So maybe I was used a little bit more to, you know, just <laughs> doing the whole thing. Well, I, I was a little bit afraid that you would be like, okay, this is actually a lot better without her here nagging me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just going to continue to do them by myself. But um, I would never do that. And you know why? Why? Because there are certain topics <laughs> like uh, the administration of blood and blood products in cats <laughs> that I have very little clue about. And that is... Uh, happening nice to be the topic that we're going to talk about nice segue yes 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 yola is right so um earlier this year just a few months ago the uh, consensus guidelines on collecting and administering blood and blood products for cats came out from the international society for feline medicine and they are or isfm right so they're the sister mm -hmm. organization for um, AAFP, two groups work together a lot. So um, to my knowledge, this is the first time we've actually had anything comprehensive on blood transfusions for, for cats, um, because cats are really very different from dogs. And I bet you even Yola knows some of the things that are different between cats and dogs when it comes to um, uh, giving blood uh, transfusions. So it's kind of amazing to me that it wasn't until 2021 that we actually Crazy. got guidelines, right? I mean, there would have been some book chapters and some review articles, but yeah. nothing comprehensive. So let's talk a little bit about ISFM. Uh, yeah. And I know that I think this article is uh, open access, isn't it? Yes. So that's one of the great things about it. It's published in the Journal of Feline Medicine Surgery. But one of the great things about both ISFM and AAFP is any guidelines that they um, publish, they make them available free to everybody. So even if you're not a member, um, you can still access guidelines. So in our show notes for this episode on our website, we'll put um, the link to this, but you should also be able to find it on the um, ISFM uh, website and on the AFP um, website um, as well. So, yeah. So iCatCare.org would be the ISFM website, iCatCare.org. And the AFP one is catvets.com. And we'll put a direct link, as I say, in our show notes. 
Yeah, and what I like about these guidelines is one of the first things that they say, which I'm very appreciative about, is the fact that there are ethical considerations when yeah. lots to cats. And I think that is such a strong statement to put that right at the beginning. I love that. Yeah, I, I love that too. And and um, it doesn't surprise me coming from this group of people. And um, I know um, many of the um, uh, contributing authors on this. So it doesn't surprise me like knowing them and their, their passion for feline medicine. But, you know, there are some times in veterinary medicine and in feline medicine specifically, when you're going to ask one cat to do something to benefit another. Yeah. Right. And, and we're not even asking that cat, right. We're just doing it. So blood transfusion is one. And the other that always comes to my mind is kidney transplant. Yeah, indeed. Right. Indeed. Yeah. So there is definitely um, some uh, some ethical um, considerations here, um, and uh, and they do make the point that you know you you have to think about that, right? It's not just the clinical considerations, but there are ethical considerations, and um, you know you have to think about uh, the donor and the recipient um, in all of that, and they provide some some uh, uh, some references and some points of discussion for that. And you said uh, that, that the authors of this, do you know these authors? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about them? Um, so it's led by Samantha Taylor, who is uh, who actually is with ISFM now. She's an amazing um, cat vet. Um, and some other names on there, um, uh, other people will be familiar with, like Severin Tasker. Um, Severin, we've had on our podcast before. Yeah, she was awesome. Yep, she's at Bristol um, Vet School um, and a absolutely um, awesome person. Paolo Stigal from oh, the yeah. University of Montreal. We've had Paolo um, on our podcast before as well. Um, Rachel Corman, who's a cat specialist in um, Australia. Um, and, uh, and the other nice thing about this is it is an international panel. So yeah. there's a representative from um, Italy. There's an Australian, as I mentioned, uh, our, uh, Canadian slash Brazilian, um, Paolo Stigal. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody from South Africa on there as well. So, and I think that's really important, right? Because, and there's, there's one aspect in, in blood transfusion in particular that comes to my mind when we think about the need for international um, input, because, you know, vets may need to transfuse a cat, whether they're in, um, I don't know, a city in the US or the UK mm -hmm. or Canada, um, where it's a little bit easier to do some of this, or they're in, or they're not in a location like that, right? They're, they, they may be, um, uh, in a rural area or in a less developed um, country. And so uh, it's really good to get uh, broad input when we when we look at these. Yep. Yeah. Let's dive into it a little bit. So. Uh, oh, OK. I have a quiz have... for you. I have a quiz. I'm ready. No, I'm not going to do a quiz. Do... <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that that was coming, but I'm, I'm just refusing. <laughs> it's, it is Friday afternoon. And, and a long week. I have not doing any quizzes, but because then I get to talk about you know which animal has square poop or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, but you know the answer to that now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I might have forgotten that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we'll have to ask our listeners. There, there's. I don't know how you tie that in with blood transfusions, but which animal has square poop? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So. Um, 
feline blood types are they the same as canine slash human blood types so i bet you even you know the answer to this yola right because you're a surgeon and surgeons sometimes oh. cause a lot of well there they need yes products right yes yeah yes. so so um so yeah, that's one of the ways that cats are really different from dogs. So they have different blood types and it's confusing because like in feline medicine, there's the, the most common ones are A, B and AB, mm-hmm. but they're not the same as type A in, in people, right? So they tend to be, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why we, we don't, well, I guess the, the canine blood types have like more unique names to them. But the feline ones seem to have been just use the A, B, C, you know, approach. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is not very, you know, imaginative and it makes it sound like the human blood type. So they might have the same yes. name, but they're not the same. But they don't have O. No. So it's very confusing, you know, it, all those, well, those things yeah, together. You, but. Yeah. The easiest way not to be confused is just to forget anything you know about blood types and every other species and then right? Just let the, let the cat be unique. So, so that's then, one way their, their blood types are unique. And then, uh, then you would expect that A probably would be the most common, but it's not. It depends, right? And so um, it depends. It probably is like worldwide, right? If we added up all the cats with different blood types, A is probably the most common, mm-hmm. but you do see a lot of blood type B in some geographic areas. I think in, for example, in the U.S., if I'm remembering this correctly, there's more blood type B cats on the West coast of the U S than the East coast. So there's geography at play and then there's breeds at play. So we have some cat breeds um, that have a lot of blood type B um, members. And that's of course, really important to veterinarians, right? So if you've got say, you know, a, oh, I don't know, a British short hair cat, uh, a Devon Rex cat, and it needs a blood transfusion, it really helps if you know, hey, wait a minute, this is a breed where there's a lot of blood type B, right? So we have a lot of breed variation. Is there breed variation in dogs, Yola? I don't know. Like, does do blood types vary by breed very much? I don't think so. Yeah, like, I don't remember. I'm not a blood specialist. I'm just yeah. a blood causing specialist, not yes, a yes. blood understanding specialist. Yeah, you, you create the need for the blood yes. product, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. So. Um, okay, so can I'm going to ask you a question then. Oh, gosh. I know you hate this, but this, this should be an easy one. What yeah, is but, the most important way that cats differ from dogs for blood transfusions? What's the most important? Um, I think that in dogs, you can give blood because there are no antibodies, most likely. And in cats, you have a risk that the antibodies are already there. Yes, exactly. You hit it on the head. So that's the really, really important difference. So dogs... I, yeah, I, not that I think you should, but you you often can get away with the first transfusion without really knowing blood types, right? But you can't in cats. So they already have pre-existing antibodies. They're there even before they were blood type. And the situation that poses the most risk is a cat who is blood type B and it's given a blood type A transfusion 
um, either unknowingly or accidentally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that makes even, sense. If A is the most common and you give a cat that is not the most common and it has antibodies, yeah. A most common, you probably will cause. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you are, um, yes, you're really, you're really flirting with fate there because the, the uh, blood type B cats have very high titers of anti-A um, antibodies. The type A cats have anti-B antibodies, but not as high. So you're like less likely to kill a blood type A cat mm -hmm. with the wrong transfusion. But if it's a blood type B cat and you give it A blood, like two mils can kill it. It's that strong mm -hmm. a reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's like kind of important. It's yep. important to know. So you can just grab any bag that you have no idea what's going on mm -hmm. uh, and then put it in a cat that you have no idea what's going yep. on with the cat. So what do you do to prevent that, Dr. Susan? Well, so the, the first thing I'm going to mention, though, is, is whenever I lecture about um, blood types or it comes up in a lecture, they'll always have somebody in the audience who says, you know, so usually somebody who's been in practice a long time, like you or I, um, because certainly early in my career, it wasn't easy. Like, you know, when you need a blood transfusion, it's not always planned. Sometimes no. it's like, right, it's urgent. Mm -hmm. And the nowadays we have in-clinic tools to do blood typing, mm. but that's fairly recent, right? Like at the beginning of my career, you could do a cross match, but you really couldn't blood type yeah. in practice, right? Um, and, and often like it was an emergency and, and the patient didn't always have time for somebody to run and get the textbook and look up the technique for major and minor cross matches. Right. And so I'll always often have veterinarians say to me, oh yeah, but I've given, you know, like hundreds or dozens or whatever, right. Of transfusions to cats without doing blood type. And you, you get away with that. And I got away with that because I didn't know any better because again, in Canada and the U S most cats are type A. So you just kind of got away with it because of the percentages, right? But nowadays you can type blood. There's little blood typing cards and kits. So you can patient side on blood type now. Um, and ideally we do a type and a cross match because, and so why do we do that? Well, the, the blood type incompatibilities are the most common, mm -hmm. right? especially you don't want to give type A blood to a type B cat, but there are some minor incompatibilities too. And there's also, you know, the, there's, there are more cat blood types out there. There's a few that have been identified in the yep, literature. Because they were talking about non-AB. Yeah, they're, they're non-ABs. Yeah, so they're just, you know, um, odd, odd blood types. There's one called Mike, M-I-K, um, mm. and it was named after the first cat who was known to have this blood type and the cat's name was Mike. So they named the blood type wow. M-I-K after the cat. So there's, <laughs> you know, so there's a few out there that make up a very small percentage. Um, and the only way you'll really catch those is if you cross match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you cross match. So ideally we would type and cross match. Now, if you're like me, so um, there isn't easy access to feline blood products where I practice. And this is quite common. Um, it's often easy to get canine blood yeah. um, from a bank if a bank exists, but not always feline. So mm -hmm. I think still most veterinarians just call in 
one of their own cats or, you know, one of their team's cats or a client's cat. Right. And we kind of do an on the spot collection, like out of one cat and into the other um, cat. So, um, but the good news is that nowadays we can type and cross match those cats. Right. So if you get blood from a blood bank, you know, it'll come typed for you, but you, you still should do a cross match before you give it. Whereas if you're just pulling it, you know, from a, a client's cat or a patient's um, cat, you often know the blood type because you, you know, that may be um, a cat that gave blood before or whatever, but you still have to cross match. Yeah. And there are some, there's a very nice uh, description how to do a cross match yes. uh, in the article. So we yeah, always yeah. stimulate people to read the article. So please go to the ICFM uh, yeah, uh, yeah. website or type in blood you know types in cats and you yeah. this article will pop up and and read it uh so now we're, we're focusing a little bit more on you know you know like you said it is not all blood is not always available so mm. um people then are looking for blood donors and if you have a big cat clinic and you do a lot of interventional things on those cats probably you should think about blood donors and so what what are important steps that say if you want to have you have like three cats running around in your cat hospital are they also below blood donors yeah so that 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 is a good question like who should be a a blood donor right Mm -hmm. and so the 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 guidelines do go over that um and there's some um previous guidelines that really focus more around the infectious disease aspects that also give you some idea. But so there's two things I would say in feline practice, again, depending on where you are geographically and how many purebred cats come into your practice, you at times you may need to be able to get your hands on type B blood. Mm -hmm. So I always encourage veterinarians to take the opportunity if they uh, have a cat of a breed that's likely to be type B, um, to encourage that owner to do a blood test, a blood typing test now, right? Because you can send it off for a DNA test. It can be done on a cheek swab. It doesn't even need a blood sample, right? It only needs to be done once. And then it's part of that cat's record. And right, and nobody will have to like, have their anxiety go through the roof Uh, on the spot, if that cat needs a blood transfusion quickly, we'll already know. And the other benefit of that is it identifies, of course, blood type B cats in your practice, and you might be able to use one of those as a donor, right? If if push comes to to shove and you need type B blood. So not every practice needs to buy a clinic British short hair that's right in the clinic being a... It depends on where you are and, you know, and whether you get (laughs) pedigree cats or not. So yes. I just always encourage people to keep your eye open and identify the type B cats because it's good for them. If they ever need a blood transfusion, it's really important that you know their blood type, yeah. but it might be donor source for you. But, you know, in, in addition to that, there's a bunch of other things to think of. So the, the guidelines talk about like it should be a young, healthy adult cat. Um, usually, you know, you want them to be a good size because a, a typical amount of blood that um, a cat can donate is only 40 to 60 mils. Like it's a yeah. unit, mm-hmm. you know, at the most a unit of blood, right? So you want a, um, a healthy, young, um, uh, you know, 
good, uh, good size cat, not, not overweight, but you know, like normal, good, good lean body weight size, say four and a half, five kilos lean body weight size. And then there's a whole bunch of infectious disease screening. That's probably the biggest issue mm. is infectious disease screening. They do say that you need to look for a calm temperament, which yes. yeah. <laughs> a calm temperament is nice, but I'll tell you, honestly, for most cats that are giving blood, I think most of them end up getting sedated anyway, but you don't want to have a fight with the cat, right? You don't want this poor donor cat who's coming in to save somebody else's life. You don't want it to be like a really bad week for him either. So it's, I think this gets back to the ethical part, right? And it's, it's kinder if that donor cat is a reasonably um, amenable cat to, you know, getting in the carrier, getting in the car, coming to the clinic, they may yeah. still need sedation to make the whole thing as easy as possible for that cat. Right. But you, you know, you don't want it to be like the worst day of the month or the year for that cat because somebody had to catch them and drag them into the clinic. So, you know, I always used to joke um, for a long time, we used one of my own cats as a blood donor. And one of the most common reasons that we transfuse cats is little kittens with flea bite anemia, you know, and they'll, they'll, die some of them without they don't they might only need two mils of blood yeah but it saves their life and i always used to joke that my own cat could care less he could care less about saving everybody else's life he just (laughs) did not want to come into the clinic but he was the right age he was a big boy you know he he was he had good veins he was just a really good transfusion candidate he just could have cared less about saving lives honestly (laughs) so another kitten that i have to keep alive (laughs) yes he's like oh no another sick kid and i have to go in the clinic yeah so so yes i think that's an ethical thing right so we we want a cat that's reasonably calm generally young you don't you know i i like them not to be over about five or six years of age you could push that a little bit further if you wanted i guess um they should be indoors only ideally they shouldn't be on any medications they'll need regular infectious disease screening um, they have to be up to date on their vaccinations. So right? what you could do, you know, when, when you're looking for clients that, that, that are willing to do that, I always think as what does the client or the cat get back, you know, mm. so, but these, these regular checkups, which probably are good yeah. for the cat anyway, could be something that you donate in, in, you know, as a thank you for. Yes, exactly. Or yeah. So that, yeah, that's a, a lot of um, clinics that, um, are, are bigger than mine and haven't, you know, more of an ongoing need or predictable need, let's say for blood products, yeah. will will have a, a, a blood donor program, right? And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have some perks, as you say, um, exams, blood testing, and so on for yeah. the client owned donors. And they'll also celebrate them, right? Like they may have pictures in their waiting area that you know, buddy's a blood donor, that type of thing. Yeah. So there's lots of ways we can give back too. Um, and it's still, I think a lot of the time, um, it's the cats that are owned by veterinarians or technicians or other team members too, but you know that, so they get, I guess the, the benefit of knowing they've helped save a life. Right. But still, I think a lot of practices, um, help, help even, um, team members out in that case with, uh, you know, the exams and the vaccines and so on. So, yeah. 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 So there's a, uh, I think we need to, we need to think about that. Um, cause there does there, it, you know, if it's a client owned, um, cat that's coming in, then, I mean, it is, it, it is a deal for, we all know how, 
how difficult it can be to get a cat into the clinic period, right? So, yep. so I think yep. we need to give good recognition. Absolutely. Yep. So this is a really long article and we're yes, not even halfway and we're almost out of time, uh, Dr. Susan. So I, I guess we need to do another one on this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. let's talk a little bit how to get the blood and then we will uh, talk in our next episode then, which we didn't plan, but we're going to do anyway, uh, you know, what you do with the blood. What to do with the blood once you get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, these days, it's much easier to get like the proper equipment um, to, I mean, it, um, basically you can, you can just put a bit of heparin in a syringe and draw blood into it, you know, like it can be that basic. And certainly for those of us who have been in veterinary medicine for a while, we may have done that, you know, especially if you just need a couple mils of blood for, for a kitten. But if you need um, any amount or you're banking blood, then you really should be using um, purpose-made um, equipment. So um, good, um, uh, you know, placing a, a proper IV catheter um, with a, a bag that's meant for uh, containing blood and so on. And it's the same on the giving side too, right? So you should, um, these days you can easily buy blood giving sets. So they're kind of, they're like IV sets, except they've got filters in them. So to make sure that you're not passing on any of those um, either macro or micro clots that are even with heparinized blood. Or, and or you, and you did say that you normally sedate your cats. Yeah, I, I think so because you know, cats only donate 40 to 60 mils, but you're not going to do that in five minutes. You're going to have to draw it fairly slowly. You know, yet you give it slowly, but you also draw it slowly um, as well. So it's a long time for a, a kitty to sit still, right? So some sedation I think is pretty common for feline blood donors. And, and how do you how how do you check the cat if the cat is okay? So mm. uh, it's it it's not you, you would expect it's normal anesthesia, so you do all the stuff. But are yeah. there things that you specially look for? Um, I, you know, I I think mostly you just need to pick the right the right donor. Actually, like I think that's the biggest thing. So if if you've got the right donor, then they can readily tolerate um, giving up forty to sixty mils of blood. Um, but, you know, you're going to monitor um, pulse, you're going to monitor um, mucous membranes, um, you, and you, we often give back a similar volume of fluid to the, to the cat, the donor, um, afterwards. Um, but if you've picked the right, the right donor, they shouldn't have a problem giving, say, 40, 40 mils of blood. Yeah. yeah, it so. did say that because you always expect a little bit of hypotension to yeah. at least do blood pressure monitor monitoring. During yeah, yeah, yeah. I think blood pressure monitoring is good. Again, you know, in the old days, we just monitored and it, it's a poor it's a poor substitute, but we would monitor, you know, pulse and pulse quality and pulse rate and all. It's a very poor substitute for blood pressure. But, you yeah, know, those were in the days when we couldn't easily measure blood pressure in the practice. And there's still you know, I talk to vets and practices around the world, as you do too, Yola, who don't have access to all of the bells course. and whistles either. And then oxygen, yes or no? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's really a personal preference thing. You know, I think that there, there's, there's some things that, you know, some clinicians like really prefer to do some like always give back a certain amount of 
or always give a certain amount of fluid to the donor. Others always want them on oxygen. Um, uh, I, I can't say that. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm more guided by the patient and, and, and more guided by the fact that having done many of them over a couple of decades, like if you pick again, if you pick the right donor, they're going to handle it pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, that's the magic is really in the right donor. Yeah. All right. This has been great. Uh, yeah. Next time we'll talk about the different kinds yeah. of fluids or blood products that products. you can give, yeah. how and you can give it, et cetera, et cetera. So this has been really cool. But and we're, we're also going to talk, we're going to talk about something really cool and it may sound really crazy, but we're going to talk about whether you can give dog blood to cats. Ooh. Yep. This is probably the first time that we're allowed to talk about the D in an open setting like that. <laughs> Finally, the other Finally. species can do something. <laughs> Finally. Oh, yeah. my gosh. First, you tell me they're so different. And now you're talking. You put a cliffhanger there yeah. that we might be able to use their blood. That's a good cliffhanger. Enemy of the state. Oh. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. All right, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yes, this is the per podcast. Yeah. And uh, this was Dr. Susan and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. If you like what you hear, see, I'm doing this now normally myself. If you like what you hear, uh, please give us a good rating. And lots of information is to be found on perpodcast.net. We have an amazing social media handle at perpodcast where you can write down all the new topics you want to hear. Uh, if you have any comments to make about what you hear, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we, as a matter of fact, were talking about blood donations. And the reason that we did well was that there is a very nice guideline that came out thanks to ISFM okay. yep. uh, that is discussing this. And uh, we'll put a link in our show notes uh, whenever they appear to yes. the 2021 ISFM consensus guideline on the collection and administration of blood and blood products in cats. So Dr. Susan, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Yola. And we see our lovely audience or hear our lovely audience <laughs> next week again. Yes, part two next week. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. 
If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.